Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisila. Welcome to uh, Business is Unusual, where I talk to folks that are working to create a world that works for all of us. And I'm very excited to have uh, Julie Kratz here of the next Pivot Point. Did I say your name correctly? You did. Awesome. I, I should have checked that before. Uh, however, and I love to have you maybe let people know a little bit about like what you're up to. And then I have some uh, fun questions, I hope. Uh, and we'll go from there. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, so I uh, do diversity, equity, and inclusion work uh, as an outside practitioner, speaker, consultant, author, um, and have had the chance to do this work for going on eight years now. So super thankful the conversation around inclusion is is swiftly changing and morphing and growing, uh, which is exciting. Uh, was not necessarily the case <laughs> in my corporate days, um, and certainly when I started all of this. So, so thankful to have this conversation. Yeah, no, I love. I so I've been following uh, Julie's publications, emails. I don't know for a while, and something I really appreciate um, is there's a combination of invitation and practicality that speaks to my. Um, inner efficiency model. <laughs> it's like, okay, here's It shouldn't have to be like to so do. hard, right? Like not everyone can mm -hmm. read 10 books about inclusion. Like that's just, I wish, I wish more people did, but got to make it simple for folks to join. Well, and we're, we are by nature problem focused. And so a lot of times we'll spend, I think more time than is maybe necessary in really like getting that problem, like dialed, like fleshed out and 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 then there's like, but what about also putting maybe some of that energy into engagements, disruptions, changes, possible fixes, which I think is another trap we can fall into because it, you know, it's like, well, this guaranteed to be working. Well, no, but the stuff we're doing is also not working. So it's really like, <laughs> but that, so I, I just really appreciate that um, approach a lot because I think it, it helps to disrupt that as well, that sort of fixation on the academic mm -hmm. mental process, I guess. Um, you mentioned being an author and you, know, you follow up with that, but also you wrote a children's book, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> what inspired that? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was a lot of things. Like having done the work for so time, so, so much with adults that we know mm -hmm. as the research like bears out, like they're not in our brains. Not that we can't change behavior, but it's a lot easier to understand something like diverse and experiences earlier in life versus later in life. And our biases are pretty well baked by age 12. And again, not that we can't shape and change our behavior later in life. It's just a whole lot easier to go to the root cause of it. So after 
spending a lot of time with corporate types talking about unconscious bias and how to be inclusive is like, oh, what if we had this conversation earlier, then maybe we wouldn't have to have it so much later in life. Um, but it's a controversial issue. I mean, depending on where folks are from and the country, mm-hmm. you see these school board meetings gone awry when they mentioned something about critical race theory or social emotional learning or diversity and mm-hmm. inclusion. And simply, we're just trying to teach kids how to be global citizens. I mean, they're going to live this next generation. And I mean, we're all living in a very intensely global uh, world. They're going to interact with folks from different cultures, from different races, from different gender identities, different sexual orientations, different beliefs. Like they're going to interact with them at a much higher rate than past generations. So we're doing them a disservice if we don't talk about how to be inclusive and understanding of differences, which by the way, most kids, when you ask them, they get a lot more than adults. Like mm-hmm. my eight-year-old was asking so many interesting questions summer of 2020, you know, as we're watching what's bearing out in the news cycle and just the tragedy of all of it. And that was like my aha is like, you know, she's like, explain to me what racism is, mom. Like, you know, you, you do your best to kind of go through it as a white person <laughs> yeah. of like people being treated unfairly based on their skin color. And then she's like, well, why would people do that? And then why would that happen? You know, it's like this five whys. And you finally get to a place where she's just like, mom, this makes no sense to me. Like, yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> it doesn't. Nope. No, so really, that was, uh, yeah. I think yeah. that's, I think it's great. Cause there's so many studies that have shown that, one of the biggest indicators of kids being able to grow up to be just more comfortable across difference is having a lot of difference in their youth and being, you know, interacting with people of different backgrounds. And I think maybe, you know, there's a lot of psychology around it and I'm not a psychologist. So I'll just touch on that and say that it, in, a, in a very simplistic way, it makes sense. It's less threatening if it's familiar, right? <laughs> if you live in a world where you deal with differences and you engage across cultural changes, you're less likely to have an instinctive fear of that. I mean, it's a, yeah. I'm, and that fear is what often, and it's what's interesting to me, I worked for a long time in LGBTQ activism, is there's a certain amount of good intentions or fear and almost fear of offense, but like genuinely like both not wanting to look bad, but also not wanting to cause discomfort that leads to some of the worst problems I've seen. And it's just kind of a, it, it's an, at least in that world. And I'm curious if that's something you're nodding that you run into with folks where you're like, wow, this, they have the heart and somehow they're making it worse. That just feels so tragic. <laughs> and all too common. Yeah. I mean, it's intentions versus impact. So intention is I'm showing up with good intentions. I want to be a better ally. I want to make the person feel included. I'm shocked by what's happening. So I really want to like do something to change this. And the flip side to that is people are like, when, why are you just now joining the conversation? Why are you trying to make it about you now? Like, Why Mm -hmm. are you trying to save the day for me? Because that's not what I want, right? Mm -hmm. I want to be listened to. I want to be affirmed. I want to be believed. I want you to take action. Those are all things that people really want. But people come into this conversation just alarmed Mm -hmm. and they don't even realize what they're doing with that bewilderment is instead of staying curious, they're getting Mm -hmm. judgmental, they're getting angry. And for somebody that's experienced a lot of adversity in their life, like, come on, like you just spent 15 minutes, like learning about this and 
I've been spending my whole life dealing like with this. So slow your roll, like don't take over, listen to me first and let's talk about what support looks like together. Do you find companies are receptive? I, I feel like having done this work from a, like that different perspective that there might be like, I would run into folks who were clear, usually because there was a problem, right? Like they wanted to deal basically with the lawsuit prevention, but there wasn't like that look what you're talking about, like that overall commitment in a way that, um, and in a way that the leadership really seemed to, and it, it, you know, obviously there's always caveats, but like really seemed to understand that this wasn't like a, an HR issue or a uh, one person, like this had not just a, a way of benefiting maybe the employee or the group that was being treated badly, but actually ultimately would benefit the entire company but that like the, drawing that line, I feel like is I haven't yet seen it seem really clear. And I'm not sure what, like you were saying, like for the kids, it's obvious that it's not a great, like it, that doesn't make sense, but there seems to be some disconnect with the folks actually running things. And I'm not sure. Is there like a, yeah. is there a benefit they have to it? I mean, obviously there's some people, but I feel like people who are not actively benefited still end up participating in the perpetuation yeah. of it. So I don't know if you could speak to any of that in a way that feels comfortable. That's a big one. So no, yeah, no, I mean, I think what you're highlighting is like lived experiences. And so as human beings, we understand what we've experienced. And a lot of times we don't understand what someone else has experienced. Right. That starts to change. I mean, you see this with men um, that want to be better allies because they have daughters or their sister or mother, you know, someone important woman in life shares their story. They're like, whoa, didn't know. Now I know, and I can do better. Um, across races, though, there's a big disconnect. So we still live in a very segregated society in most parts of the world. Of course, that's very nuanced. Uh, but here in the States, you know, 75% of white people don't even have a friend of color. So mm -hmm. if you don't have somebody you can talk to candidly about these experiences or see the world from their perspective, then it's going to create these kind of separations between us. And so when you have, you know, talking about corporate, uh, most senior leadership teams, most CEOs, overwhelmingly white men, um, most of them are able-bodied, you know, straight, cisgender, all the things that were overrepresented with that demographic at, at a very, very high rate. I mean, north of 80, 80 to 90%. So when you have folks leading organizations that don't reflect the broader population and can't just by way of their own lived experiences can't necessarily articulate, let alone know what to do about systemic issues that affect folks of color and folks with disabilities and women, then you, you've got this like friction. And mm -hmm. what a lot of corporate leaders are saying, like, Oh, we care about diversity. <laughs> like the, the statement, the donation, the one-time training, that's not what real commitment looks like. Like real commitment mm -hmm. looks like we're in this for the long duration. We realize it's a consistent, intentional set of approaches that we need to have just like we would with any other part of our organization if it was important. So that's the challenge is getting people to care about this long term. At the same time, they may not, they may have just recently discovered that this is a problem. Yes. <laughs> Which, yes. <laughs> um, uh, one of my colleagues actually made a comment I'm going to share based on that. It says, 
I found that most, Mike, this from Mikey Famine. Thank you, Mikey. Um, I found that most people are only one incident away from hating one race. Hmm. Um, and that, and I don't know if you have more clarifying things you want to share around that experience, Mikey. Um, but I, that, I, I was like, hmm, I could see, I could, you know, having like a, because we, if we globalize, right? Like have experience. I don't want to, I want to know that it was because of this. So then I can, mm-hmm. I could shift that. Um, our, our brains, like, um, it, it's just how our brains work with categories and stereotypes, largely playoff categorization that our brain naturally really likes. Um, it, it's, it's, it's helpful in a lot of situations. So it's really unhelpful with diversity because our brain, yeah, we record a negative experience we have. Let's say it's a person of color, or say it's a white person for a person of color, whatever it is, somebody different from you. We put that experience in a bucket in our brain and our brain starts to make associations of who I can trust, who I can't trust, who I need to steer clear of based on negative or positive experiences. Also the challenge that Mikey points out is our brains are much more likely to remember negative experiences than positive ones. Again, for our survival, Mm -hmm. like that was dangerous. Don't be near that person again. But what's not fair about that is if we behave consistently with that, then now we're, we're, we're operating under a stereotype and we're applying the experiences we've had with one person to all people. And that's obviously problematic because just because you had a negative experience with a woman doesn't mean every experience with a woman is going to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. We saw this with right. like Me Too, the Me Too movement, right? We saw that backlash of like, man, I can't even be alone with a woman. <laughs> right. Okay, well, it's interesting that that's a choice for you, but also that fear that it can create when we have that isolated experience. So just, I think just making sure you remind yourself, I was one experience. Mm-hmm. And reflect on the negative experiences you've had, because you might be harboring some, some old fear too, that you just might need mm-hmm. to unpack. Right. Well, and the other thing is when I very first started this journey myself, I I had that idealistic I, you know, sort of like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this and this, and then I'm going to be inclusive. <laughs> and, and at some point it's like, oh, it's not how it works. Cool. <laughs> I know. Just, I wish there was just like an inclusion switch. Like, all right, we're all on. <laughs> we're ready. We're done. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. It's not and that, that easy. No. One of the things that recently came out as a distinction that I found to be incredibly helpful was that de- the depersonalization in terms of saying, like we were talking about with me too, it's not men that are a problem, it's patriarchy. And men are harmed by it and benefited by it in different ways than women, right? Um, and then there's this gentleman, uh, Chet Sisk, who we, I, he was on a show, he talking about feminine principled leadership and the this com- like sort of weird tension between male and female perspectives and men and women. And he said like, here's the deal, we need both. Like we're not, mm-hmm. there's no scenario in which somehow like it's all, so we need to like the zero sum game way that we talk about it is not helpful because actually <laughs> we need everybody. Like this isn't, right. we're all in it together. We may not like, if we're all in the same storm, even if we're not in the same boat and we've like got, we can make it easier or harder. We could help each other out, but either way we're all doing this. Right. And I thought that was what you were saying, like that, that the me too movement, did kind of focus a little bit more on men 
But if I step back and is there right, like it's patriarchy that's the problem. And there are plenty of women who participate in furthering patriarchy, sadly. And so recognizing, you know, that um, distinction, I think was really helpful for me in terms of like redirecting conversations that maybe get a little bit too in the weeds. Cause it's like, I'm not saying anything about you. You're I'm not saying you're a bad person. Like I can't do that. I've got, I made so many mistakes in my life. Like I cringe at some of the things I said out loud to another human being. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. Right. And, we all make mistakes. You know? <laughs> but I lived in a world where I got to be corrected and change my behavior and it worked out. Like I, you know, it was a, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's still, I don't know if I was in the same position today that I, how it would go. Cause I do think we're in a different landscape and I think there's some benefits and some challenges to that. And I'm, I'm, my jury's out on, on the, you know, net results. Uh, <laughs> what yeah. do you think? Do you think it's easier for people or harder? What it like in terms of if someone runs into a recognition, like you said, they discover the problem. <laughs> yeah. Do you think there's more possibility for them to like learn, grow, change, or are there more barriers or What's your take on that? Yeah. I mean, it's again, when we have insulated communities, so like what we know that happened with COVID is our networks got a lot smaller and a lot more um, consistent. And a lot of times when we do that, that's code for people like us. So we're, we're, we're very much wired as human beings for affinity bias, meaning we like people like us. And so when our networks kind of shrank with the pandemic, a lot of us are listening more to people in our own eco chamber, people like us, the people that are different from us, whether that's politically, you know, religious. I mean, there's no shortage of issues in the news cycle nowadays, but thinking about what if we can meet in the middle? You know, one of the pieces of feedback I get so often I mean, just last week I had a client share from a presentation, like it really felt like for people like me, this felt like not enough, right? Like I've been living this experience forever. Like really, you're telling me to be patient. You're telling me to engage allies. I get that. That's be frustrating. I find it frustrating. And then you have a camp that's like, this was too much. Mm -hmm. I didn't like the fact that she used the word privilege. I didn't like that she threw all these new terms at me that I'd never heard of. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's like, I feel uncomfortable. So my choice is to, now what's interesting about that is I, I kind of read through the lines there that uh, the feedback was from a lot of their senior leaders, hmm. white men. And so when you have this juxtaposition of people in leadership not seeing it's an issue or feeling like it's too much too quick, then you have folks in the front lines or just folks I wish more broadly um, represented that are saying, this isn't enough. I don't know how we meet in the middle. And, and I think what you talked about with like patriarchy, same goes for white supremacy, same goes for like ableist culture, like, you know, homophobic, you know, types of problems. Like when we have this camp of like, you know, you're bad, you're kind. There's no mm-hmm. room. Yeah. But acknowledge we're all living in a society that has these, has had these problems historically, and we're, we're getting better at some of them, but it's the system that we're participating in. It doesn't mean you did something to create the system, but at the end of the day, if you benefit from the system, like I benefit from a lot of systems as a white person, 
right? I don't benefit as much from a gender perspective. Not always, sometimes. But all that to say, it's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. Mm -hmm. Just this is the way it is. And we're operating within these systems. So what are you going to do to make sure the systems are inclusive for all? Because they most certainly are not working for everyone. And, and, and to some degree, you know, things have gotten a lot worse in the last few, few years with the socioeconomic divide, um, with racial representation. Like, I think people think, like, summer of 2020, like, we, we you know, what we marched, we protest, like, the representation, the um, socioeconomic um, variables, like, there, there's a lot of things, indicators that are, it's getting worse, in fact, at the time when some people want to be complacent or think it's too much change. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, I do feel like we're in a time, and it's, you know, honestly, part of what prompted this podcast for me is that we are in a time of change, which has a lot of chaos to it. And it also, to me, there's means there's some opportunity and, but we have to seize that opportunity. We have to like, as a, those of us who are doing this work that aren't, you know, maybe in the dominant culture, um, what do you call the chamber of dissemination need to find ways to lift one another up. Cause there are folks that are really committed to creating better and doing good work. And at the same time, there's this overarching message of despair and it's real. Like it's not to Pollyanna my way out and say, Oh, everything's fine. There's definitely stuff, but I'm more interested in working on solutions and ways to like connect people to stuff that's happening that can help them be more involved in this situation where we can do stuff that works for everybody. Um, and mm -hmm. something you said earlier that I, I also really appreciate. One of the things I love about the podcasting community and the access is that there are so many podcasts out there from uh, perspectives of people that are different from the dominant stories and also just myself. Like I, I never knew anything about barbershop culture in black communities. And there's like four podcasts that are basically black men talking about things they would talk in a barbershop. And so I listened to those. I'm like, wow, this is like a whole new world. And it's not intrusive. Like I'm not asking some random person at work or my friend to like, <laughs> these are people who are putting their information out there and having these very frank, open conversations. And it's like, oh, wow, I get to learn about this cultural experience that was completely out of my realm without, you know, feeling like I'm awkwardly stepping into somebody's space, right? Because, and it was, it's been really neat for me to just like get that. And I, so I think that once again, like you were saying, like maybe folks don't have a friend, but there are so many different places where people are sharing their lived experience and their perspectives that you can tap into and get some sense of what that world is without it being mediated by a commenter or, um, you know, a screenplay or something like that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, and I think something else that, that can be problematic sometimes, it, despite our willingness, our, our great intention to learn about the lived experiences of others, is we put the full burden of others educating us. Right? And mm -hmm. so for allyship to work, to be there for somebody that's different from you, by nature, you don't understand what it's like to be them, right? So there's a disconnect. Now, one choice is to sit down with them and be like, tell me everything that's happened to you. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and and there's a time and a place for that. If you have a place of trust with somebody, an existing strong relationship, then that's fair. Now, oftentimes it's like, oh, this happened. Like, is this something that happens to all of you people? You know, 
there's a, a judgment inside there. Like I've heard just so many things like that just don't like, you're like, well, you better not to say anything to say what you just said. But to your point, there's wonderful resources out there. So you don't, even if you're, you're like a lot of white folks, for example, that don't have any friends of color or men that feel uncomfortable around women, whatever it is, like you don't know what you don't know. That's okay. You will make mistakes. That is okay. Own them, get better. And do some education. Listen to the stories. I love the the barber. Yeah, the black culture, pieces of black culture that just are very unique. I mean, it's, it's really fun to learn about other cultures. And while that's not, you know, a monolithic experience, not all black people have that experience. But it's fun to kind of tune into a podcast where you can just kind of eavesdrop on an existing conversation without putting, again, that burden on people to educate you about something you can do your own research you can do your own studying of this and then it'd be better showing up in the conversations like oh my gosh I listen to this podcast because that was so fascinating how the yeah, I learned this right then that's a springboard to a trusting conversation that's going to accelerate trust versus coming in with like educate me on everything tell me what to do oh my gosh I'm appalled like I'm going to make this about me and save the day like no one wants mm-hmm. that people yeah. want people to listen um, and to better understand and to come to the conversation with something interesting to say that's that's relevant and important and shows you did some work on your own right like and that's that you're willing to put in some effort like I shouldn't if I'm supporting you in an inclusion process or some what you know whatever that is I shouldn't be doing more work than you are like that's the <laughs> step one right I, I do want to put this up real quick um if you want to know, and maybe you could talk a little bit about allies or coaches. There's obviously there's the next pivot point, which is the company that uh, Julie founded. Mm-hmm. And then there's this program that she specifically thought would be a good fit for folks that uh, listen to this uh, podcast, uh, allies or coaches. So can you talk a little bit about what that program is? I, I loved reading about it, but I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so when we talk about allies, just to kind of level set there, yeah, it's people that want to be supportive of folks that are different from them. And it's not a self-proclamation. It's not, uh, again, rescue cape, save the day situation. It's it's in the eye of the beholder. And it's the people doing doing the work day in and day out. And again, I, I think the, the, I saw the question in the chat by Mikey, like the hardest part, I think, is knowing what to do sometimes. Like it just, I mean, honestly, I, that's probably the number one question I get from everyday folks. Like, what am I supposed to do? This isn't okay with me or I want to be better the world to be better for my kids, whatever it is, they'll share that with me. And it's like, what do I do? I read the book. I mm-hmm. listened to the podcast. You know, I did all the things I was supposed to do. And now I'm like out of ideas or I'm just not sure what to do. And I think that journey looks very different based on your lived experiences, based on your skill set, based on your passion area. So, you know, thinking about allies as coaches, one of the things we talk about in our speaking engagements is thinking about allyship as like an umbrella. And so if you imagine umbrella with different spokes coming out, coaches, being a coach to someone that's different than you is certainly a way to show up as an ally. Um, and coaching, when we talk about coaching, it doesn't mean giving the answers. It doesn't mean some like rah-rah motivational speech like a sports coach. It's like really listening to somebody, asking questions and promoting what I call self-discovery. It's it's really not about advice giving like um, a lot of um, – kind of the myths around coaching that exist, but there's also other roles like mentoring. There's um, roles. If you think about being a challenger, I mean, that's not as intuitive, but challenging people. We know that women and people of color just don't get as much challenging feedback or constructive 
um, feedback to get better. And that's part of personal growth and career development and getting stretch assignments. So being a challenger is important. Um, and being an advocate, it's probably the one that people take most often is that's some way to advocate, you know, amplify the voices of people different from you. Make sure when something happens, it doesn't feel good. Make sure that it's addressed, whether it's in the moment or a follow-up conversation. Um, but there's, there's these, an umbrella set of terms where you can choose how you want to show up based on your skill set, based on your position in the organization, based on the amount of positional authority or influence that you have. Um, the last one, sponsorship. And this is one that's woefully underutilized. Um, and a lot of times because we sponsor people like us. And so when we have folks mm -hmm. in organizations that are in a position to sponsor somebody, they're in a position of power, they're influential or have really strong relationships, a lot of times that's overrepresented in the, more of the white male representation. And so what tends to happen is we tend to sponsor and, and advocate mentor for people like us. So it okay, kind of perpetuates this systemic problem because we insulate our networks with people like us. So one of the most tangible things I could offer is diversify who you spend time with. You know, really think intentionally about who am I mentoring? Who's mentoring me? You know, 12 years in corporate, mm -hmm. all my mentors are white women. Like shame on me. Mm -hmm. That's a chance to get better. And it's something I'm actively working on now. Um, but who are your sponsors? Who could be your sponsors? How could you have a meaningful conversation with somebody about how they could be more helpful in your, your career? Or even more importantly, how could you reach out to somebody that's different from you that you could be supportive in their career and just say, hey, I noticed you're leading this project or I noticed in this meeting you said this. I'd love to just get to know you more. Like, would it be okay to have coffee or a virtual you know, chat? You don't have to be creepy or weird about it. You know, you don't have to be like, I want to be your mentor. I'm going to be, you know. <laughs> That, that's probably not going to feel right. <laughs> I've had people do that to me and it's like, okay, great. Like there's something wrong with me. Um, but you know, the good intentions again, sometimes the impacts just not quite there. So make sure you're thinking intentionally about it. Think about those different roles and think about how you can diversify the folks you spend time with in those roles. And you have a, do you have a program around that I, or like a, you know, people could kind of like come and study or how does that? Oh yeah. It more... so, yeah. The, the, the program is titled um, lead like an ally. So it's um the book I wrote, gosh, right at the heels of the pandemic. I will never forget April of 2020 book launch and all this <laughs> book tour. Wow. No, not so much. Not so much. <laughs> it was fine. It all worked out, but it was a sad few months. Um, But I, I wrote the book with really the idea of like, how corporate America could facilitate inclusive experiences through a fable. So it's a, it's a woman going through kind of her journey and, you know, people read the book and they're like, uh, oh my gosh, like, did you like follow me through corporate? Like, this is exactly what happened to me. And it was all sorts of people, people of color, women, you know, we really tried to keep it intersectional, even though, you know, my lived experiences of a, of a white woman. And so Anyway, from that, a lot of conversations happen, especially in the corporate environment, as you can imagine, summer of 2020 and just tumultuous, just so much change coming at us and continues to, um, that leaders are saying, yeah, I want to know how to be an ally. So we actually have um, a self-paced program based on the book that goes through kind of 10 attributes of allyship. It helps you unpack with assessments and tools and resources and self-reflection activities. So that's something we're really proud of and, and a resource that um, I think, you know, people can answer, it helps you answer a lot of the questions we're talking about today. Like mm -hmm. one of the biggest things, ahas I've had in my own podcast and interviewing guests is 
we always talk about their story at the beginning. You know, everyone has a diversity story, like what ignited you into this, you know, made you want to come into this world. And, you know, it, everyone shares their vantage point and they're coming at it from such a different place. But that passion, you know, that gets ignited from your own, like, oh, this didn't feel right to me or this happened to me. And then mm-hmm. it can be fleeting to figure out how to like carry forward that momentum. And so it's really a set of intentional, consistent acts over time. But people don't need to read all the books I have on my bookshelves and listen to all the <laughs> podcasts I've listened to. Like the 10,000 hour rule, I think Malcolm Gladwell had that, right? Like, I just don't think it should have to be that complicated for everyday allies. Like it should be easier to know how to show up in this conversation and to have hard conversations that that are productive, that that get change um, and, and change, you know, the cultures and worlds around us. I think we can all lead from where we're at. And um, yeah, that's the, the Lead Like an Ally program is the, the one we're excited about nowadays. That's a, that sounds great. And I, I popped the link up and I'll also make sure it's in the show notes. And uh, for our listeners, it's nextpivotpoint.com. And and I'll let the rest of you can probably navigate the nav bar. Uh, so, um, I wh- so where do you go for inspiration? Like I, this could be exhausting, challenging experience. So when you're when you're having a day or a month <laughs> or in April 2020, what do you, what do, you do to get year. yourself <laughs> or a year? Yeah, <laughs> like what do you do? Or you know, yeah. how do you, what do you encourage people to do? It's hard. I mean, I think just acknowledging self-care and burnout's a big issue. And it's a big issue with everybody right now. But we know women and people of color experience burnout at a much higher rate um, than the majority group does. And that's just, you know, you're not reflected. You're, you know, having more marginalized experience. There's a lot of reasons why that happens in nearly all contexts that data bears out. So for me, knowing burnout is high, this work is um, requires a lot of compassion and you get compassion fatigue. It's really finding ways to fill up my bucket so that I can continue to be here. Cause if I don't take care of my health and if I don't take care mm-hmm. of like the things that I'm passionate about, if I don't feed my, my soul, um, you know, there were just some things that I was doing that really unhealthy behaviors early on in my business. Like you just go down these, you know, rabbit holes. Um, right? I would get hooked on these documentaries about racial heavy issues and you know he was like Mm -hmm. my five-year-old at times like um mom are you watching another documentary about black people like uh yeah and you know she's like basically (laughs) like you're crying again like what are you know like what are you doing and so I just realized I was like okay and this is my privilege in being able to monitor and my exposure to these heavy issues is you know maybe a documentary or two a month is good Maybe a heavy book or two a month is good to sprinkle in with a positive inspirational one. Like maybe mm-hmm. these podcasts I'm listening to don't always have to be depressing. So anyway, just pra- understanding burnout is is high in this work, whether you do it for a living or do it, you know, as a you know, personal passion, but also acknowledging you've got to balance out the activities that give you energy. You have to find a way to build those into your day. And it, for me, it's just a short walk. I, I like to take a relaxing mm-hmm. bath a couple times a week, um, getting time out of the house once a week with my partner. Like there's just things like that that I've tried to like systematize into my life mm-hmm. <laughs> to remind myself to have fun, to chill out. Uh, and if you don't 
build it as a practice, you know, we, we can easily get, you know, down the rabbit hole or in our email boxes, social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can be unhealthy sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, I, when I was doing a lot of the LGBTQ activism, I, I would just, because people are passionate and they care, right? I'm like, this is a marathon, not a sprint. I was a runner at the time. And <laughs> it's like, right. you got to pace yourself because you you cannot run 26 miles the way you would run, you know, a 3K <laughs> or 5K. You've got to like split that out a little bit. And and it's just, if you want to get to the end of the race, you you have to give yourself the the resources to get there Mm -hmm. and that's part of the problem like you said like if you have the privilege of financial benefit or gender benefit or racial benefit then you might you have the ability maybe to regulate that in a way that somebody else doesn't they're just always running a marathon at sprint levels and that's what we're trying to fix like we we don't Mm -hmm. want that to be how they have to go you get exhausted yeah you get burned out Exactly. And Mikey said this, I thought it was a, it was a comment on what you said before, but like he said, the not taking over is big for him that he finds mm-hmm. allies around him, gets so excited and try to lead instead of support. And it, you know, it's, it's cool, right? Like, yay, you, you're here. I love it. And yeah. try to help. <laughs> yeah. Cause we take over. I had a, a male, a well-intentioned, I hope a male ally a few months ago, share that story with me. He's like, I went to this allyship training. It was a series we, we'd helped him, helped an organization with, and he was attending. Really great intentions after the conversations. Like, all right, I'm going to just hit the streets and you know talk to women about these issues. And so he shows up at like a, a corporate lunch table of women and is like, hey, I'm here to be an ally for you. I'm, I'm in this ally program. And they're like, mm, no thanks, you know. And I, I think about him a lot. It's like, I, like, he didn't have to say it that way. Like, how did you think? Like, how would you react to that? You know, mm-hmm. but the way you frame it is so important of like, hey, you know, I just watched this or I just learned of this. You know, I'm in this program. I would be so curious if you'd be willing to share your insights or your experiences with me. Totally different conversation versus here I am let me save the day. Uh, let me make it about me. So, um, and I think when people get uncomfortable, they take over and talk too much too. <laughs> so it's usually mm-hmm. a sign of discomfort of like, I, I think a lot of white people get, you know, we were taught culturally not to talk about racism or to be colorblind. I, I know for me, I'd unpack that uh, false narrative and unlearn that and relearn it. And so early on, I would you know, probably talk too much, probably make it about race too much. Um, and so you just had to learn through the discomfort and kind of, you know, relearning and replacing those old mantras with new ones that you'll get better at it, right? You'll get more comfortable, although it's always going to be a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and that's the whole growth is always there. If you're going to grow in any way in life, it, there's always going to be some discomfort and it, in interpersonal stuff is really interesting because I think we all, most of us have this instinct of, oh, I should, I should be good at this. I should be, I should know how to parent or how communicate with my partner or talk about different topics like sexism or racism. And the reality is that like, we actually, most of us don't have those skills. Like we have to learn them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and that's, there's no shame in that. But there's, there is sometimes that feeling of, why don't I know this? Like, it feels like at this point. <laughs> um, so I, what is your, your best advice 
that either you received or you were talking to someone and you heard it come out of your mouth and you're like, wow, (laughs) that was a good one (laughs) or both. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think for me, um, the, the, probably the, the biggest lessons from kind of all the, you know, books on, I mean, now there's a ton of books on allyship. There wasn't when I first started writing about it. So I'm super thankful. There's a, a slowly building bookshelf full of these books, but the aha that I've had has just been, you know, do it afraid. Like seriously, like this is something that's not going to feel like you said, fully comfortable if you were doing it right. You know, people came to me like, I am doing ABC, you know, then I would be really worried that they weren't because it's you're doing it you shouldn't have to talk about doing it i mean it's one thing to pat yourself on the back and you know acknowledge wins that's for sure but it's more about acknowledging what i don't know right fears i have that maybe i've acknowledged or not acknowledged um why is this showing up for me what what could i be doing to be a better ally and those are you know, questions that I wrestle with and keep me up at night is how do we make people stay interested in this work when it's not always, you know, in your newsfeed and, you know, people get complacent and we go back to kind of the status quo and why do we need to change? And, you know, if, if we could just acknowledge that it's, it is a problem (laughs) and we could all be better when we support the problem and that requires us to do things differently for difference. <laughs> so you got to shift a little bit. I'm not asking anybody to you know, move across the country or, you know, start, um, you know, a new organization or, you know, even not everybody wants to shout from the rooftops on social media or at protests. Like that's, there's not one way to show up in this. It's, it's really a choose your own adventure approach. And so letting people co-create, you know, type of allyship experiences they want to have I think it's really important at a time sometimes when it can be polarizing, you know, you're good, you're bad. Like we talked about, there's so much in between. There's so many people that are just stuck in the middle and don't know what to do. Yeah. No, I think the despair part is, is real in that the folks will see it. That's a, it's an Al Gore quote from uh, his inconvenient truth that I it stuck with me, which was like so many people <laughs> jumped from denial to despair it's like, no, 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 it's not a problem. Too. I can never fix it. It's like, yeah, no, you can't. It's cool. You're not supposed to. Yeah. Just do a little. If everybody Climate does change, a little. Climate change, racism. <laughs> like, it's like, these are heavy things, right? Like, they're not going to mm-hmm. get solved for overnight. Yeah. And so if everybody just does a little, you know, eventually, but but you're like, as you say, we have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And we also have to note those distinctions between what's us, what I can do and what's systemic. Like mm-hmm. I drive a, I drive a car. I'm part of the problem. I also don't have a lot of choices. Like, <laughs> and that's true for a lot of us. Like we, and, and that like taking that away and saying, all right, you know, it, this isn't a bad, good thing. Like you said, it's just simply a fact, you know, until the system gets uh, a little bit more shifted, we're all part of the problem. No matter, you know, no matter how hard we try. <laughs> Yeah, and, and so, that doesn't make you know, me a bad person either. Mm-hmm. The system was here before I was born. Um, yeah. But what am I doing to shift those systems, right? Could I right. walk or ride my bike once a day instead, or once a week instead of drive? Or, you know, whatever it is, those little mm-hmm. subtle shifts that they, they would add up cumulatively to so much positive change. 
Yeah, exactly. And that, and just that, and that's, that's the hope that, that I like to, I like to look for that to remind, like you said, we're negatively biased. And so really looking to say, all right, here's some ways that we can do things, show up in your community, be there, disrupt things when you can. Um, and then what's the best way for people to get involved with what you're doing? Like if they're a company yeah. or a, just a random human, <laughs> Yeah, we work with individuals, like I said, the Lead Like an Ally self-paced online program is available on our website for purchase and has lots of activities and helps you kind of go through your ally plan. Um, that's for individuals. And then we do a ton of work at corporate. So if you're thinking about, you know, DEI strategy, getting the pulse of where people are at with the their lived experience in the workplace with like listening sessions and assessments, um, we do a ton of training too, on allyship and how to be more inclusive as a leader. And just like you said, an everyday human. Uh, so that's all all on nextpivotpoint.com. And um, if you're interested, I just want a slow trickle of ideas in your newsfeed. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and I post every day. So just look for me there. Um, you can follow me, Julie Kratz, K-R-A-T-Z. Um, and I post daily um, new information about this topic. It's really great. I mean, for, for a one one person perspective right here, like I like I said at the beginning, I'll post your your LinkedIn here too, um, so folks have it. But it's really been super helpful to me, honestly, because there's always those bite sized moments or those little things. It's like oh, and just a reminder too, because I think that's especially honestly working from home and as a solopreneur, you feel real isolated. And something like that comes across my feed and I'm like, I am not alone. <laughs> like, we're not, we're not, we're, you know, there's lots of folks doing, doing what they can. It's just, it's a little bit uplifting to have that, um, have my, my little, uh, group of folks that I, blue unicorns. Another one. I just love Madison Butler. She's so, Oh, amazing. she is a hoot. Oh my gosh. I love, she Great. really pushes, like she's, she's pushing really great content and, and she is she is doing it without fear. I just love how bold she is. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's so it's so inspiring. And I and I love what you're up to. I'm so excited to have had you on here. And um, for it, let me say anything else that you want to leave any final words with people or anything like do that? something, do something, start with one thing. Uh, do not underestimate the power of your voice in this world uh, and uh, lean in, do it afraid. And uh, I'd love to, to stay in touch listeners as well. Thanks. And uh, thank you, Mikey, for your questions. And, and we appreciate you being here. It's always fun to have some folks around. Uh, this will be up on Apple Podcasts fairly soon, depending on how busy Monday is. Um, <laughs> and I'll see you guys all in um, a week, actually. Uh, Monday, August 29th, Dennis and Jesse Peckett are talking about the company they founded as a married couple to increase intimacy in their lives, which I think is going to be interesting. And then I won't be doing any shows in September because I'm going to um, attend Amsterdam Climate Week. It's very exciting. Awesome. <laughs> so I will be offline for a little bit, which is a brand new experience. Um, so thank you everybody for being here. And um, I will see you all next uh, Monday. And thank you so much, Julie. I'm so glad to Thanks. have you on the show. Thanks for Bye. having me. Bye.